0: The, on the first Sunday of every year, I try to listen for a message from God that I hope will set the trajectory for the church for the new year. Uh, today's message that was inspired by a video sermon I saw recently by Tim Delina. I hope will do exactly that. Now, Corrie Ten Boom, I'm sure you know her, she is now deceased. Uh, by my estimation, she was one of the great Christians of, the, of, of this last century. She once said this. I have learned to hold all things loosely, so God will not have to pry them out of my hands. Let me read that again. I have learned to hold all things loosely, so God will not have to pry them out of my hands. Now, I will try to unpack this quotation a little bit later, but for now, I want us to consider a principle, a principle of interpreting scripture, which some people refer to as the law of first use, or the law of first mention. Now, this law especially says that to find out what a word or idea means, you must look at it in its original context. And the... the the context within which it was first used so that you might be able to determine its meaning. And so the, the first place in Scripture where we find the word worship is Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 through 5. Now I'm going to give you a little bit of an exercise that I want you to do for me as I read. I want you to count the number of times that you hear any mention of the following that I'm gonna list in the passage that I'm going to read. Count for me the number of times you hear fast songs, contemporary songs, or traditional hymns mentioned. Count the number of times you hear any mention made of praise teams or choirs, piano, organ, drums, or guitars, smoke machines, flashing lights, PowerPoints, attendance numbers, or anything that we tend to associate with modern worship. What you will discover in the passage that I will now read is that the first worship service had only two people present. One of them was a 100-year-old man and the other his teenage son. And they will teach us what true worship really means. Genesis chapter 22 Verses 1 through 5. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, God himself said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. I and the boy will go over there and worship, that's the first place you see the word, and worship, and come again to you. Now, are you ready yet to give me the number of times that you heard those different themes mentioned in the passage? What number did you get? Zero, right? Acceptable worship requires not only lifted hands, but loose hands. Now, what do we mean by acceptable worship? I think one of the songs that we sang this morning, the second song in particular, Behold Our God, that tells us a whole lot about what acceptable worship is. Who determines whether our worship is acceptable or not? Is it you? Is it me? Is it anyone? It can't be us. Because you and I, All of us have our subjective ideas of what worship should look like. Am I right or not? All of us do. If worship is the expression of our affection to God, about God, and for God, then it is God who must determine what acceptable worship is. Do you agree or not? If worship is to God, about God, and for God, then it is God who must determine what acceptable worship is. So Jesus told the Jewish woman who thought that she knew everything that needed to be known about worship, Jesus told her that worship must be spiritual and not religious. Worship must be spiritual and not religious. Worship must flow out of our inner disposition and not merely our outward expressions. This is what Jesus said in John chapter 4 verses 23 to 24. He told the woman this, because she was boasting that her people, the Jews, knew how to worship. And Jesus said, the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Now what does it mean to worship God in spirit and in truth? It means that you worship God with your authentic selves. Your authentic selves. It means that you must worship truthfully, and to be truthful... You must be vulnerable, as Denise was this morning. Transparent, even naked before God. And so I ask you this morning, is that how you worship? Is that how you worship God? With authenticity? With transparency? Not afraid to be vulnerable in his presence? Even to cry if he prompts you to. Is that how you worship? Is that how you worshipped this morning. Now, some of us worship God with lifted hands, which is excellent. But do you know what message you are conveying with your lifted hands when you raise them to God in worship? You are communicating to God and to the rest of us that you are surrendered to God. When you raise your hands in worship, you are communicating to God and to the others of us that you are surrendered to God. You are giving yourself entirely to God. This is what Paul writes in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 8, and I'm going to go back to Genesis. Paul writes this, I desire then that in every place, meaning where you, ascend, where you assemble to worship or wherever you are, the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. So lifted hands are an acceptable sign of worship. But I want us to note that, first of all, lifted hands must first be holy before they are lifted. Lifted hands must first be holy before you can worship. Lifted hands must first be cleansed by God before you can lift them to him in worship. It is the one who has clean hands and a pure heart, as Anna read in Our Call to Worship. It is that person whom God will allow to enter into his presence to worship him. So lifted hands must first be loose hands. And I believe that loose hands are a truer indication of worship than lifted hands. Now, is that to say that we must not or cannot lift our hands in worship. No, God's word commands us to. But lifted hands that are still holding tightly to the things that we love more than God are nothing more than defiance of God. Everybody's so quiet this morning. <laughs> lifted hands that are still holding tightly to the things that we love more than God It's nothing more than defiance that is dressed up in worship clothes. So let's go back to what Corrie Ten Boom was saying when she said that we should have loose hands so that God doesn't pry from our hands the things that we're holding on to. I believe that Corrie Ten Boom meant that loose hands are a truer sign of authentic worship than lifted hands which is what the Apostle Paul meant when he said this to the Corinthian church. And I found this passage so fascinating. You will as well. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 29 through 31. Paul writes this. He's writing to the Corinthian Christians, the Christians who, are, who were in the church at Corinth. He says, This is what I mean, brothers and sisters, by the way. From now on, let those, well, 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 first of all, he's addressing brothers. Let me make it clear because of what is following here. Let me, let me make it very, very clear. He is referring to brothers, okay? This is what I mean, brothers. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. Are you married, men? Live as if you weren't even married is what Paul is saying. And those of you who are mourning, live as if you weren't even mourning. And those who rejoice, as though they were not rejoicing. And those who love to shop, as if they had nothing. And those who deal with the world, as though they had no dealings with it, for the present form of this world, that's the reason, the present form of this world is passing away. Is that a hard saying or what? Now the one word that sums up all that Paul is saying there in that passage is the word, detachment. Live detached lives. Don't become too attached to anything or anyone in this life. That is what it means to live with loose hands. And so to be a disciple of Jesus Christ we must learn to hold loosely to any relationship, possession, or experience that we are likely to be too attached to. More attached to than God. Lest God have to pry painfully out of our hands. Let's go back to Genesis. So Abraham was 75 years old when God first promised him and his wife Sarah that, he was, that they were going to have the one thing that they desired more than anything else in the world, a child, a son. So 11 years later, at the age of 86 and 76 respectively, Abraham and Sarah did have a son. But not the one that God promised them, the one that they stepped out of God's will to have. So, it is so we were talking this morning in our... Um, remember this Discipleship 101 class, 101 class about boundaries that God sets. And it was an important boundary that Abraham and Sarah stepped outside of to have the child that God had promised them. Fourteen years later, the promised son finally came after 25 years of waiting. That's a long time. And what we found happening was that Abraham started loving his son More, in fact, he loved his son more than anything else. He was his pride and joy, Isaac was. But God would test Abraham because, you see, God always tests those who are his children. So God, there was some testing that was awaiting Abraham. God was testing him or would test him to find out whether he loved God more than the son that God had given him. We find these words here. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. And he said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Now, the only thing more shocking than what God just said to Abraham is the unpacking of what God said. And so the way that this verse is written in the way that I just read it, it gives you the impression that God is having a one-way conversation, that he is doing all the talking and Abraham is doing all the listening. But what if we, what if we read those verses like this? And so there's going to be a, a, a graphic that comes up, I, I hope. Um, there, there should be a green graphic there that tells you um, how I'm reading this, but if not, I'll read it for you anyway. So what if the, yeah, what if the verses read something like this? God speaking, Abraham, I want you to offer your only son to me as a sacrifice. Okay, God says that. and Abraham says, what? I mean, I have two sons, God. And God says, no, Abraham, I mean the son that you love. Abraham responds, but I love both of my sons equally. And God responds, really, Abraham? You know that I mean Isaac the one that you love. I want you to offer him to me as a sacrifice. What if it read like that? I think the conversation may very well have played out like that, although, you know, the literal version read the way that we read it. But all that this is saying is that acceptable worship is not giving to God those things that you have left over. We tend to do that, don't we? We tend to give God the things that we don't love, but acceptable worship is giving to God the thing that you love, not the leftover, not what you can do with not, not, that, not what you can do without, but what you can't do without. That is acceptable worship. Giving to God the thing that you love. I would submit to you this morning that you have not worshiped until you offer God what you love thing that you love secondly acceptable worship is doing the hard thing that God demands of you now what Abraham does next I think is remarkable for two reasons first let's notice that Abraham got out of bed early the next morning before anything or anyone could change his mind you know sometimes you make up your mind to do something in the night and you're bent on doing this and then before anybody could stop you, you get up early to make sure that you go do that. That's what Abraham does. He got, got up very early before anyone else could change his mind, because he had already made up his mind what to do. So he set out to do the hard thing that God asked of him. Notice, quite frankly, he didn't even tell his wife what he was about to do. I am sure that that does not go down well with any wife or mother in this room. All right? All right? That your husband is taking your only son on a three-day journey up a mountain to offer him as a sacrifice to God because God told you to do it. That's what Abraham does. Now I know that that would not have worked in my house, right? I would not have been able to do that, and I would not be able to tell Randy that I was going to do that and still be able to do that. She would not allow me to. And I suspect that you as wives and mothers would not allow your husbands to. Which is why, I believe, Abraham got up early before anybody could change his mind. Because he was so intent on doing what God asked him to do. And so, that shows us, I believe, that you cannot worship God without loose hands. Without loose hands. The second thing that is striking about Abraham's obedience is the number of times that you're going to find the word and occurring in the passage that we just read. And the number of times that the word and appears is to show you what, what Abraham's obedience was like. Now, I took the time to count the number of times the word and appears, 13 times. Let me read the passage to you. And Abraham arose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and clave the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went unto the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, Abide here with the donkey and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. 13 times. You know what that represents in literary um, circles? Something called polysyndeton. It's a, literally, it's a literary device that is used, um, or that uses multiple repetitions of the same conjunctive word to make a point. Multiple uses of it in rapid succession. 13 times that the word is repeated. I don't believe that this repetition was by accident at all, because nothing in God's word is by accident. I believe that it was deliberate, it was used to show us that our obedience is our worship. Can I say that again? Our obedience is our worship. And so whenever God commands us to do something, our obedience must be immediate and continuous. Immediate and and continuous. And so Abraham got out of bed early to do exactly what God directed him. Immediate obedience is preferable to delayed obedience because I think I read somewhere that delayed delayed obedience is still disobedience. You ever read that? Delayed obedience is still disobedience. And so Abraham got out of bed early he saddled his donkey and took two men with him. We read through all of those ends to show you that this was a man who was serious about his obedience to God. And so as those two men went up, Abraham and his young, man, young son, we ask ourselves, what, what did their obedience to God look like? Well, it looked like a teenager carrying on his shoulders the wood that would create a fire that would consume him as a sacrifice. And yet he did it. And then you look at Abraham, and you see him as a father of an only, well, he had two sons, but a son that he really loved, his, this son of promise. He takes him up on a three-day trip up a mountain and ties his hands and, fo- and feet and lays him on an altar, and takes a knife to slay the very son that he loved more than anything else in the world. That is obedience. That is obedience. Can you imagine how hard this must have been for Abraham? Can you imagine how much he must have struggled to hold his emotions together? Laboring over his son, knowing that God was requiring him to take his life. God was testing him. But let us notice that Abraham did in fact pass that test because um, he was willing to obey God even to the point of slaying his son. And this convinced God more than anything else that Abraham loved him more than he loved anybody else in the world. Because this is what the text tells us. When they reached the place that God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Here I am, he replied. God said to him, do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him, because now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son your only son. Now pay attention to the words, now I know, that you fear God. It was only after Abraham had passed the test that God was able to say to him, now I know, which brings us to our third and final point, that acceptable worship will elicit God's I know, now I know. In other words, when your worship is acceptable, when you have passed whatever test he gives you, then is when you will hear God say, now I know. And so God told Abraham, Abraham, now I know that you fear God. And what lets me know that you fear God is that you have not withheld your, from God your only son, the son whom you love, the one thing that you love more than anything else. You have not withheld him from me. I believe that withholding from God is the same as having closed fists, which are a sign of defiance. Whenever you raise your fists and they are clenched or closed, that's a sign of your defiance. Withholding from God is the opposite of having loose hands that are open to any demands that God makes of you. Now, If you're going through some test this morning, could it be that God is testing you to finally be able to say to you, Now I know. Now I know. If God has ever told you, now I know, it means that you have passed the worship test. When God asks you to do something difficult and you choose to do it rather than to hold on tightly to what is in your hand, that is when you will hear God say, now I know. Not necessarily now that you have attended church, or oh, now that you have sung to me, whether a hymn, a contemporary song, or whatever, you will only hear God say, now I know, when you have been obedient, when you have done the difficult thing that he has asked you to do. Now that you've taken your son three days up a mountain, willing to bind him hand and foot and lay him out on, a, on, a, on an altar and take his life. Now I know that you fear God now that you have been obedient to what I've asked you to do. Now I know. So your obedience is your worship. Bottom line of our message this morning is that you have not really worshipped until you have been obedient. I have three things to say in closing this morning. First of which is this. Surrender to the Father by putting your faith in his Son. Now notice that Abraham and Isaac showed us what surrender looks like. Abraham surrendered to what God was asking him to do by getting up early, getting the wood, saddling his donkey, going on a three-day journey up a mountain, just because God told him to do it. He surrendered to that. Isaac surrendered to what his father was asking him to do, because he willingly allowed himself to be bound and laid out on an altar to be sacrificed to God. Similarly, I believe that God is calling you to surrender your life to his son. I'm talking now specifically to any person here this morning or joining us online who has never given their heart and life to Jesus. I believe that God is asking you to surrender your life to God today by putting your faith in his son, Jesus Christ. Putting your faith in what Jesus did for you on a cross as he laid out his life and gave his life for your sins. I want to ask you boldly this morning, not with eyes closed this time, but with all eyes open, is there anybody present who wants to surrender their life to God this morning by putting your faith in his son, Jesus Christ, to forgive you of your sins? to make you right with God. Is there any person this morning, anyone at all? Is anybody uh, joining us online who wants to do that? I'm just going to ask you at this point. You can't indicate to us and we won't see you. But I'm just going to ask you to pray this prayer. Lord Jesus, I am a sinner, but I am willing to place my faith in you and in your Son, Jesus Christ who laid down his life on a cross to forgive me of my sins and to make me right with God. I ask you, Lord, to forgive me of every wrong thing I have done and to come to live within my heart as my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Here's my second challenge to you this morning. When you raise your hand to God in worship, Make sure that your hand is loose. A loose hand is indicative of your obedience, your surrender to the will of God. A closed hand that is raised to God is one of defiance against God, even while you claim to be worshiping him. If you are raising your hand and still holding tightly to things that you love more than God, then your raised hand is nothing more than defiance. I want to ask you this morning, what are you defiantly holding on to even as you are claiming to worship God? That is a question that only you can answer this morning with the help of the Holy Spirit. Are you prepared to release to God the one thing that you're holding on to tightly? And attaching more importance and significance to it than God? Are you prepared to release to release your comforts? Notice that Abraham got out of bed. Bed is a very comfortable place, especially early in the morning. In cold weather, very comfortable to stay under those sheets. And if you have heated blankets, even more. Are you willing to release your comforts to God? Your possessions the children that you love, your will, these are hard things Are you prepared to have loose hands before God. I want to challenge you this morning that if you hear God asking you to release something that you have been defiantly holding on to, will you let it go today, whatever it is? It may be one of the things that I listed, it may be something else that is, occupying a place in your heart that God alone is designed to occupy, would you let that go? I feel like I should ask you again. Will you let go that one thing that you are too attached to that is rivaling God for your attention? Here's my third and final point this morning. Let your singing be an indication of your obedience. Do you know that we can sometimes sing away our obedience? Do you realize that? Even in church, we can sing away our obedience. What do I mean? Sometimes we can sing to drown out God's voice that is calling us to obedience. God may be calling us or convicting us uh, about something in the service. And we sing, as we close out, to drown out the voice of the Holy Spirit. We can do that in church. As I sang this morning, I promised myself one thing before God. I am going to be very careful about the words that I sing. Because the words that I sing can either be convicting or they can be condemning. Let us be careful Not to sing away our obedience to God, but let our singing be a reflection of our desire to say, God, I am entering into this song that I'm singing. I am going to respond by doing the very things that the song is requesting of me. When we do that, our obedience, not our singing, our obedience is our worship. Let's pray together. God, help us to take a step beyond our singing into the realm of obedience. Sometimes, Lord, you're asking us to do something that is very difficult to do. Sometimes, Lord, we let fear, we let shame, or something else, or maybe even someone else, or maybe even a song... Silence your voice and talk us out of obeying you. I pray this morning, God, for myself and for all of us as your people that we will learn how to be obedient to the voice of God. We will learn how to be obedient obedient to Scripture, that we would learn that the expressions of our singing express our obedience to you. So that you would be able to say to us, like you said to Abraham, now I know that you fear God. Lord, as we sing this closing song, let this song be an expression of our obedience. In Jesus' name we pray.